Welcome to the Essential Craftsman Podcast. I'm Nate, and we've got Matt Reisinger with us today, and my dad, the Essential Craftsman. And I'm telling you, this is classic and vintage quality uh, conversation with these two. It's amazing how much overlap these guys have in their lives. They're at different points in their lives, but these guys are two peas in a pod. And we're talking about YouTube, uh, social media, of course, we talk about house construction and building science, and at the end of the conversation, it gets to a little more, um, a little more meaningful, a uh, little more meaningful topics that I I won't spoil. But I really hope you stick around to that part of it as well. I could not be more pleased to bring you this episode. In case you don't know, Matt is a YouTuber. He's a custom home builder in Austin, Texas. He runs the Build Channel and Build Show Network, and he is just an absolute beast in terms of building science and truly understanding uh, what, what it takes to build quality structures. And he is giving all of that information away weekly for free on YouTube. It's, it's just priceless, and I'm certainly a fan, and I hope you enjoy this interview. Without any further ado, Matt Reisinger and Scott Wadsworth on the Essential Craftsman Podcast. First and foremost, it's really nice to meet you and kind of uh, have an introduction because we've certainly kept an eye on you for a long time. You are one of the OG YouTube build guys, maybe the original as far as I know. I don't know about that. I mean, you guys have been on for quite a few years now as well. I've seen your videos, Scott, for at least four. I mean, I remember buying a T-shirt from your uh, merch store not too long after it opened, <laughs> at least four or five years ago. Well, yeah. So Nate Nate provided the impetus for this. First video went up January 2016, right, Nate? Okay. And, yeah, well, the funny thing, we, we did put one up in 2008, That's but right. things That's just, right. things didn't work out to keep after it. I was in school and it just, it takes a lot of effort that we weren't ready for. And we weren't thinking of it that way at the time anyways, but no. unfortunately we waited until 2017 or so to get more serious about it. <laughs> but you didn't, you, wait, Matt? Matt, you jumped in right at the crest of the wave, right? 2007 uh, or something? Yeah. No, I started 2008 as well. Okay. Um, but I but I put up at least one to two videos a month uh, from 2008 until today, and it was around 20 around probably around the same time you guys got serious 2015 that I started publishing once a week, and then maybe a year or so later twice a week, no matter what. Mm-hmm. So every Tuesday and every Friday, even if even if it's not great, I publish it. Wow. <laughs> So, well, so that that's a ton of work, and Nate handles that for us, and I'm just kind of standing on the sidelines cheering him on. That's a ton of effort. I mean, it's a team. As you know, Scott, it's a team effort, whether you're in front of the camera, behind the camera, editing, figuring out what to do, figuring out some sponsors. Uh, and I've got a sizable team now. I actually have nine people that help me. Uh, and wow. we, started, we started a website, and I've got four other builders that shoot videos for me now as well. Uh, on my website so we're we're having a lot of fun and uh, uh, I'm enjoying it as a you know just a nerdy builder that uh, likes to talk about dorky details it's crazy that uh, you know we've both grown such a fun business and we get to teach people so I've got kind of a triple I always feel like I've got a triple bottom line which is really fun for me (laughs) 
Well, that's the first thing I wanted to talk about because, and we'll get to the specifics of building eventually, but whether it's building or YouTube, I I don't think people might realize how good you are at building teams because uh, it takes a lot of people to to do all of these things. So can you talk about that a little bit? That's something yeah. I've never been good at, honestly. It's, it's maybe like something that's held me back slightly, but how, how do you go about building these teams? You know, uh, I wish that there was some uh, secret formula that I've learned over the years, but I think uh, I, I got my start in construction 25 years ago working um, for a national production builder. And I had worked basically through my church, starting in junior high and through high school in construction. My dad was in the steel business. So I grew up in Pittsburgh, PA. So I didn't, I didn't grow up in the business, but I watched this old house, junior high and high school, and I worked on houses in the summers through a church organization. But I didn't know that there was a career as a builder. I didn't, didn't know any builders except for Tom Silva on uh, PBS on Saturday mornings that mm -hmm. I was taping on the VCR. So when I started at this builder right after college, they recruited me out of college and they liked that I didn't have a lot of building experience, but that I was excited about it. And they hired me uh, because they saw that I was good with people, that I was a good encourager. Uh, they overlooked my not so great organization skills, uh, which still is not my strong suit. That's why I have other people doing those things. Uh, I'm not, I'm not a uh, accountant for a living for a reason. But uh, I think that early experience with that builder um, where they really hired for two things. They wanted people that were good, critical, and logical thinkers, and they wanted people that could learn the business and had good people skills. And so for me as a 22-year-old who didn't have any you know, real construction building business uh, experience, and I certainly wasn't a framer for years before I became a builder, uh, I was just a dorky, basically business major. I have an industrial <laughs> management degree. Uh, and so I've kind of, I've always carried that with me and said, okay, who are people that I could hire that are good problem solvers? Because you guys know, like I do, that no house is the same as the last one. Every house is a prototype. Mm -hmm. And the houses I tend to work on here in Austin have a lot of funky details that I've never done before. Like, how do we do this? Uh, recessed base with a reglet. How do we do this hidden door? How do we do this detail with no overhangs on the front of this house that has whatever? Mm -hmm. And so we really, we're always problem solving. So one of the things that I've done over the years is anytime someone has come to me saying they're looking for work that I thought kind of met that criteria, regardless of what their resume said, I always look for a position for them. And, uh, you know, of course, a lot of prayer later uh, mm -hmm. has meant that I've ended up hiring a really good team. And I've got, uh, well, we have 26, 27 people, something like that between awesome. my two companies. And, uh, and it's all, as you said earlier, Nate, it's all about good people because, you know, I can't build every house. And then that also for me translates, I know this is really your question, but this also translates to my subcontractor base. Uh, we keep the same subs. Uh, job after job, we treat them uh, like partners in the business. Uh, we uh, we don't bid them against other people for the most part. Uh, and I have an annual negotiation with them about increases in pricing. And then I use the same trades. I have the same HVAC guy I've used in every house I've ever built in the last 15 years, 16 years here in Austin. Uh, I've unfortunately had to switch electricians uh, and plumbers last year 
but prior to that, I had those other guys for 10 years and uh, some things changed with them. But I've got the same frame carpenter who also does what we call cornice or exterior trim and siding. Uh, he's worked with me for a dozen years. Uh, I've got pretty much the same concrete. I actually have two different concrete guys. Uh, they've done all my work for the last dozen years. So by having that continuity of really good tradesmen, it also means that I don't need a builder, a superintendent, whatever you want to call the person at the job every single day. They don't necessarily need to have 30 years of construction background. Uh, if I've got the same trades that have always worked with me, know what I expect. And my VP of construction, who they report to, uh, has been a friend of mine for almost 20 years, and he's 20 years older than I am. Uh, and has been in the business his whole life. So, you know, I've got this really great team of some super experienced people, uh, some trades that have been in business for a long, long time and have always worked with me and my houses. So now I'm at this point that I'm, I'm really having fun. I don't have to be at every job every day. Mm -hmm. I've got really good people that are good problem solvers and really good trades. So I feel incredibly blessed to be in the position I'm in right now, Nate. That's amazing. It's a, uh... Was it ever, were there specific things that you had to let go of control of that was, you know, delegating and was that ever difficult for you? Cause I know for a lot of people that letting go of the control is easier said than done. Yeah. You know, that one's, that one's honestly been a little bit easier for me because, uh, I'm more interested in control of the final product and some of the means and methods mm. than I am in the process of control, if you know what I mean. So for instance, I hired a, a COO uh, about five years ago now who hadn't been in the building industry before, but was really excellent at processes and actually retired out of the tech industry. And he's come in and totally changed a lot of what we do in the back office and has made us a much, much stronger organization than I was five years ago. Mm. But I've, I've kind of said, look, Steve, do what you need to do. You know, I'm, I'm behind you. And it meant that we changed out our controller. It meant that we moved a few people. A few people didn't like him and they left. Uh, and that was good. And it was hard at times. But in the end, we're a much, much better organization. And because I've been able to kind of let go of those reins, I didn't feel like I had to be the, uh, you know, the CEO or, or uh, you know, the, the, the head decision maker. Uh, and as a result, I've got, you know, a much, much stronger team now than had it been me because... All those people are strong where I'm weak. And and your your personal freedom increased. And it's a linear relationship between how much control you can relinquish to people that you trust and how much freedom and satisfaction you have in your own day-to-day, -day, right? 100%. 100%, Scott. And, uh, and there's also, it's kind of on that same point, there's also a book that, that I read years ago uh, called The E-Myth. Um, by uh, what's that famous author, Michael Gerber. And he basically talked about how you need to set up your business so that you're not just an employee. You don't just own your own job, but you own your own business. Mm -hmm. uh, and I wouldn't say I'm a hundred percent there. I still am fairly active in both of my businesses. Um, but that's the goal, right? Is that uh, we would actually own the business and not just own our jobs. Mm -hmm. And that's maybe a little harder on the content creation front, uh, as you guys both know. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Scott, you're the face of the channel, and Nate, you're probably uh, the, brains. Uh, the brains of the organization. So you, you still own that job. But, you know, I'm sure you're thinking about this, Scott. I know I am. What if I get hit by a bus? Oh, what man. If I have a 
health issue? What if I have a heart attack? Oh man. Uh, I need to make sure that I've got people in place both on my home building company and on my build show, uh, as I call it, which is my YouTube channel. So that if I went away someday, uh, I'd be okay. Do you guys know who the King of Random is? Have you ever seen that channel? Uh, as a matter of fact, yeah. And maybe this is where you're going with it, but didn't he like step back and that maybe tell that story? Cause I, I'm not even fully up to speed, but what, if that's where you're yeah, going with it. I may not be able to tell the story perfectly, but he is a, I mean, probably 10, 15 million subscribers on YouTube, which means he's making giant ad revenue. Mm -hmm. uh, young guy with a young family, as far as I can tell, he seemed like he was a really cool dad. I mean, I don't know any more than just YouTube, just like mm -hmm. I know you from YouTube, Scott. Sure, sure. But, uh, you know, he seemed like a terrific guy making great, super fun science-based videos. He, I think he had a hang gliding accident and died maybe, I don't know, four, four years ago now, three years ago. Well, uh, oh, wow. and at the time he had a younger guy who was on the channel who basically took over the channel and then brought another woman in. I don't know if it's his wife or what the relationship is, but now there's two other people that have the face of the channel. It's still the king of random, but the founder of the channel, the guy who uh, was the face of the organization died in a, in a, uh, an accident oh, and wow. they kept on. Wow. I did uh, not. I knew that. I, I think the last time I saw it, he was handing it over to somebody. And I remember thinking, wow. And I remember him saying something like, I'm going to spend more time with my family. But I did not know that he passed away. That's wow. That's unbelievable. And yeah, and I'm, I, I wow. have to think he's 10, well, maybe at least five or 10 years younger. I'm almost 50. Uh, I suspect he was maybe in his low 40s when he, when he died. So, wow. I mean, that's the kind of stuff I think about is how, how can I make sure that I have an organization that would survive? Yeah, uh, you know, me being gone, so and, including my hang YouTube. Gliding, first of all, yeah, stay yeah, away from the hang sure. glider. No scuba diving. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like either one of those. To be honest, <laughs> oh, that's uh, amazing. So, so, um, so this this has been um, one of my Achilles' heels all my life is that I liked the work much better than I liked the business, and so as a consequence, I got fairly adept at the work and and just muddled along at the business. And Nate has brought a, a clearer fresher view to some of that um because you know he, he he's not as uh, he did not become a carpenter growing up in my house he became a businessman sailing under his own flag and so that's been that's been a help for us to but we have to figure out how to delegate and increase the size of the team well you have you're in the same position i am scott you have a unique position where you have a building company and you have essential craftsman podcast and, uh, and, and, uh, YouTube. So now you've got these two business. I don't know if they're separately incorporated. Mine are, mm -hmm. but what a cool thing to have both and not to rely on just home building profits. Mm -hmm. Um, but you can also have some income through the podcast and through YouTube. I mean, what a blessing that is as a builder. It is because I'm the same way. I've, I've had plenty of years where I lost <laughs> more money than I made. And in mm -hmm. fact, uh, I just was, reminiscing with my wife we just sold our house recently because i'm building my current house and it was only 2015 that i paid off a giant debt because i made a huge business error right before the recession by starting a speculative build mm -hmm. that i promptly lost two hundred fifty thousand dollars on mm -hmm. uh and during the time i kept running my credit cards up to mm -hmm. keep keep myself afloat so i had coming out of the recession i had three hundred thousand in debt that took me till 2015 to pay off. Those are terrible nights. Those are terrible, terrible nights living through those things. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Nights, for sure. But well, all um, 
good job paying that back. That's there's a lot of people who did not pay off their debts from that that's housing right. bus. So uh, wow. every penny. Salute to you. That's thank you. That's really something. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. you're a and, and to your investor. wife. Yeah, and your wife. I'm sure your investors are your number one fan in the universe right now. <laughs> well, we paid. We didn't. He didn't make the interest that he expected, but he got every penny back. Yeah. Uh, so I, I felt good about that, and every sub got paid on that job. Uh, and oh, then I'm too cool. And then in 2015, I called it my uh, my employee I couldn't fire was that debt payment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I kept uh, eating, man. So yeah. I finally fired Chuck, my worthless employee. Employee, in yeah, the, the laziest employee ever. Lazy, ever <laughs> and I don't have any. I haven't had any debt since, which has been awesome. I just had a little mortgage payment that uh, I just paid off when I sold this house. So, so we, that's, we have this that's podcast it. and lots of our things because you don't know what's coming next, and we're trying to like always be a little bit forward thinking. I feel like you, even from what I know about your your uh, your YouTube channel, but even just your mindset on building science seems quite forward thinking. And certainly, um, lots of builders are playing catch up to you and learning about these techniques from you. So you're certainly in that role. Anyways, what where are you at? What are you forward looking towards now? As someone who's oriented in that way, are you uh, are you is, is the building science changing so quickly that you're kind of keeping up with it that way? Or, or maybe tell us where you're, where you're looking. Yeah. You know, the cool thing about building science is physics doesn't change. Just our understanding of how our, our houses um, are going to relate to the environment and the physical world around them changes. Uh, and one thing that does change though, is our architectural styles. Uh, so I live in Austin, Texas, which is an incredibly modern oriented town. A lot of no overhang buildings, yeah. uh, which, uh, which are incredibly vulnerable to, uh, the slightest error, as you know, uh, whereas older houses or houses that have overhangs, I, I liken to the golf umbrella. Uh, you know, if, if you're out in, in your trench coat with a golf umbrella, no big deal. Maybe your shoes get wet, but that's it. But you take that golf umbrella away and all of a sudden uh, you're relying on just your, your uh, hat and your Patagonia jacket. Well, it better be the most expensive jacket you can find. That's perfectly buttoned up and you better not have any rips or tears or nail holes in that jacket because you're getting wet. Yep. Uh, And so, you know, for me, it always comes back to the basic water is the number one enemy. Water is the reason why we have lawsuits in our building industry. Water is the reason why we have typically indoor air quality issues. Uh, you know, mold is usually the direct result of water. Everything else in our house uh, is paper-based and uh, has the same temperature that mold likes. So if we get water issues, whether it's condensation or bulk water, that's where the problems come in. And you guys being in Oregon, you're, you're pretty used to that rainy climate. We are, uh, you know, I, I we, cut my chops in Oregon too. We don't have a lot of zero overhang houses up here. There are a few, you know, there are a few, you know, that the contemporary movement and the, mm-hmm. the a minimalist, uh, sort of aesthetic cuts off those eaves, but the house that we've been laboring on now for a long time has got a big umbrella and that, that gives me some comfort, right? Yep. A lot of it's got so smart. So smart. What was that like uh, going to Texas? Because I'm sure there's, yes, it's rainier here, but there's probably things in Texas that that you did in Portland. I'm sorry, there's probably things you did in Portland that you couldn't get away with in Texas. So what's that like? Kind of having a being pretty fluent in 
different parts of the country. How yeah. different is it, you know, building in the different corners of this? Country? It's it's pretty different, Nate. So I started my career East Coast. Uh, I built many years in Washington, seven years in Washington, D.C. Then I moved to Portland, Oregon for three years. And while I was in Oregon, the national mold crisis, the EFIS crisis kind of hit. Uh, and I was working for a builder in Portland that had built lots of EFIS houses uh, where they didn't pay attention to water management. They just built a house with OSB sheathing and then just stuck this insulation on and put a latex based stucco on and called it good. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just cocked around all the windows and those houses had massive problems. Uh, and so kind of cutting my teeth on building science was simply just trying to s- learn to survive as a builder. Uh, you know, 2001, when I started with that builder within a couple weeks, uh, we were in a dozen lawsuits, either for <laughs> EFIS houses or for mold issues. Uh, and I was the guy who was doing customer service and figuring out what we did wrong and how do we fix it and how do we get all these these lawyers to go away and survive. Mm-hmm. And we were the first builder to really pick up rain screens uh, in uh, in Portland before they were code. And boy, did I learn a ton during that time. And I'm so thankful it was on someone else's dime. Um, yeah. But when I moved to Texas, Texas is not too different in terms of the annual rainfall. We get about 30 to 40 inches a year, depending on the year, 35 mm-hmm. inches a year, Similar. annual rainfall. But we get it in three or four inch increments often. And with um, wind. Which is very different. And, and, with, and wind. with wind. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, and the other thing we get here is it's hot 10 months of the year. Uh, you know, it was 72 and sunny today, uh, even though it was five degrees two weeks ago or three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. So, you know, 99% of the time we're cooling. So we have to be really, really cautious about vapor barriers in this climate. Uh, because we're almost always drying to the inside. If I have anything on the outside of my wall that's going to stop that vapor from drying to the inside, that's going to be a condensation spot. Uh, and I'm going to end up with mold in my walls and potentially even some, some true rot. So if we're going to use a vapor retarder or a vapor barrier, it has to be in the outside of our buildings. And here in Texas, we can actually get away with a zero perm vapor barrier. And mm. often I use peel and stick underlayments for, for uh, house wraps. Like wow. you guys, you guys think of a uh, ice and water shield, like a wh- asphaltic based whip. Mm-hmm. Uh, I use a lot of those types of products on the outside of my house because they're great at bulk water. And I don't care about drying to the outside because it's never cold enough outside for me to dry to the outside. Mm-hmm. I'm running the air conditioner 10 months of the year and we, an air conditioner is basically a dehumidifier. And oh, oh, by the way, I also put dehumidifiers in my houses. So I always want to dry through the walls to the inside of the house. And uh, those kinds of things that I didn't know when I first moved here in 2005, you know, I was reading fine home building. I was reading journal like construction. They were all like all Northeast. You know, if you're building a house in Vermont, in Mm -hmm. Maine, in New Hampshire, that's totally at the time. Now they've changed quite a bit. But at the time, I was like, well, what, what about Texas? I don't know what to do in Texas. Like, now I know East Coast, and I was learning Pacific Northwest, but what's different about down here? Mm-hmm. And so I dug in and read everything I could from anybody that had anything to say about this hot, humid climate. Um, you guys know who Joe Stebrick is from Building Science Corporation? I do not. No. Man, he is the, uh, he's probably the preeminent building scientist in America. Mm-hmm. Buildingscience.com is his website. Uh, and if you ever have any specific questions about your climate zone, 
what you should or shouldn't do, go to buildingscience.com. He probably has a free white paper on that. Mm. Um, so I started reading and talking to Joe and going to his seminars and learning everything I could about how's it different down here. And that prompted me to start kind of what you guys are doing, which uh, at the time was blogging. Uh, and I did a written blog. And then about a year later, as I started doing this blog and realizing, oh, people are actually like reading this. My prospects <laughs> that are meeting me found me on Google and are like, oh, I read that article, Matt, that you wrote about, you know, X, Y, and Z. So then my buddy said, hey, check out this flip video camera. There's this new thing called YouTube. And you can take a video on here, even though, you know, we didn't have cell phones back then that took videos. So I used this flip video camera and I handed it to my uh, plumber on the job and said, Hey, will you take a video of me? He was like, what are you? Uh, okay, whatever. <laughs> uh, so that's what I did. Like once or twice a month, I would just, whoever was on the job, I'd be like, Hey, will you, will you hold this? I'm just going to talk for a few minutes and I'd upload it to YouTube and then I'd put it on my blog. And, uh, and that's the Genesis of the build show. But you know, anytime I talk to a builder crowd and if you've got podcast listeners that are builders, I would say, the best thing about putting yourself out there on social media, whether it's blogging, podcasting, Instagram, you know, any of these methods is that people that are interested in you and your company are going to find that media, no matter what it is, whether it's pictures you're putting up or whatever. And once they find you, they're going to check you out as part of their vetting process. And that's mm -hmm. exactly what happened to me in 07, 08, 09. I'd put up a video that would have 52 views, uh, which today we would think, oh, that's a failure. I only got 50 views. But back then I was like, oh my gosh, it's almost almost 75 views. Can yeah, you yeah. believe it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and I would go into a meeting with a prospect and I'm sure you've had this, Scott. They act like you're their long lost brother. Like, yeah. oh my gosh, Matt, it's so great to meet you. I'd yeah. be like, well, how how do you know? Yeah. Like, what do you mean? Like, have I met you before? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't think I recognize you. I watched all ten of your videos on YouTube, and I loved how do you explain the difference between that type of insulation and these windows and what solar heat gain coefficient means. So. And, you know, I had maybe 10 videos on YouTube and I realized, oh, this is good. Like video is very connecting. People think they know you. People decide already if they like you or not. And if I go into a prospect meeting and they watch 10 of my videos, I got a chance. Either they're going to not hire me right off because they didn't like me or they thought I was an idiot or they're going to really like me and I'm going to feel connected to them because they've already seen what I look like, mm -hmm. know that I know what I'm talking about you know, know that I'm not a shady contractor, any of those things. And so that was enough encouragement for me to go, I need to keep doing this. This is good. This is good for my little fledgling business. I'm going to keep making videos. And so I've just kind of kept at it ever since. Well, I really went off on a diatribe there. Sorry. No, Nate. I love it. That, that's <laughs> interesting. interesting. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, super interesting. Um, I got a bunch of thoughts, but I want to keep steering it. But first off, just was that hard for you those first couple of times your plumber filming you with a flip camera or were you always kind of, I mean, to me, you seem like a total natural, but did you have to work at it or my dad's a natural. He, he basically from minute one was a pro. What was it like for you? Yeah. I mean, Scott, I think we're probably fairly alike. We're natural teachers. We want people to learn and to do better. Mm -hmm. um, you're not afraid to give away what other builders would call secrets, mm -hmm. even though, 
you know, a lot of builders when I first started doing it would be like, man, you shouldn't tell the builders how to do that. That's your proprietary. That's your competitive advantage. Stock and trade, baby. Yeah. What? No, <laughs> no. I mean, when was the last time you went to a party and someone didn't have a story about a builder that was terrible or a house problem uh, or a failure? Why not all of us get better and then I can just get better and you can get better, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, that's, healthy. I think that's, that's healthy. So, I, so as a result, Nate, I think it's, it's probably for Scott and I both, it's been pretty natural. Um, we've certainly gotten probably better at our presentation over mm-hmm. the years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but, you know, YouTube's pretty forgiving on uh, ifs and ums and mumbles and, you know, as long as you're genuine. Uh, and of course, probably you guys, just like me have upped your production game over the years and you Mm -hmm. edit things out and, uh, that sort of thing. But when I started on YouTube, I didn't even edit anything. I just, I maybe trimmed it at the beginning where I said, okay, press the go button. But other than (laughs) that, I didn't trim anything. I just posted it as it was. And, you know, I also figured, well, only 50 people are watching it. What's the chances that someone I know pretty, pretty, (laughs) pretty limited, right? Well, well, for both of you, um, whether you're selling a job as a remodel dad or even a build but are you a custom home but as opposed to maybe just a some subcontractor who really can just kind of show up and do their job and leave you guys are kind of selling and explaining as a part of your trade whether you're explaining to the general public or explaining to the the client you were you already had an interface with a a lay person that was probably well developed at that point it, it was yeah. for, it was yeah. for me and particularly because I, matt i had i had tried hard to segue over into blacksmithing like ah. six, 16 years ago and that's how we started the channel that and mm-hmm. that we we imagined that the channel was going to be primarily filmed in my forge in my blacksmith shop because i had been making mm-hmm. gates and grills and railings and stuff as a way to augment my small contractor thing and so Nate one day said, you know, dad, I think they'd like to see the inside of your shop. And that worked for a while. And then we uploaded a couple of carpentry videos and there, you know, there was that interest too. And then we got, so, but, but I had been the beneficiary, beneficiary, he said, of the willingness of the blacksmith community to download on me this arcane forging knowledge that had been sort of, sort of, um, exhumed from the past. Right. And the blacksmith community mm-hmm. is is um fabulous about sharing everything and so it was a short step for me once i realized cool. people were interested in carpentry to think man i mean i have been blessed with people being generous with this blacksmith craft which i would have otherwise never been able to rediscover i might as well give this stuff away because it might it might be a That's blessing so cool. in someone else's life you know yeah yeah well, so, the other thing that's unique about you, Scott, even more than me, is that you're the master craftsman, the master builder. Uh, you know, that's that's one thing I think that that really sets your channel apart. And I'm a little bit there, but I'm not quite I'm not certainly not as much of a craftsman as you are. But people love that you understand plumbing and and carpentry and concrete and can explain all those trades. And in fact, you end up doing a lot of those trades. I can kind of nerd out on them. Uh, and explain them, but I'm not a plumber. But people want to know from our perspective all those different trades and how they interact. And there's always going to be that need for the for the orchestra conductor, for the symphony master, and that's our role as a yeah. builder. I think. Yeah, yeah, I, I I think you're right. And and some of that goes directly back to one of the first things you said of having that that sort of um, 
corral full of trusted subcontractors that are mm-hmm. all strong where you're weak and you can trust their yep. that you can trust their motive they come with a very similar motive to what you have it just augments augments your horsepower like nothing else can it's really it's really a, a neat thing to have that symbio- symbiotic relationship 100%. with those guys yeah 100% and then also because we have such a trusted uh, background. Number one, they know they're going to get paid if I have them do something different that they don't know what it's going to take or how long it's going to take in particular. Uh, I'm, I have several trades that are time and materials to me, mm-hmm. which I am to my customers. And for instance, that's how my carpenter, uh, Bill Wood, who's on a lot of my videos and frames most of my houses, he doesn't bid anything for me. I have a yearly, um, sit down with him and we talk about his rate, his day, man, week rate. And then together we typically decide what the budget's going to be for his phases uh, because we have a long history together. But if there's something that we've never done before, like I just did a, uh, a detail in my house under construction where I'm, I'm about to put my metal roof on. We've done one by four lath to elevate the roof. So mm-hmm. it's on an, uh, an air gap. But I also did a detail where I'm, I'm doing a, uh, a vented ridge detail. Uh, that's what they call a vapor uh, vent or a vapor diffusion port is what Joe Stebrick calls it. We're basically use peel and stick almost up to the ridge, but at the ridge, we use the vapor permeable product so that my roof, which is essentially a SIPS roof, uh, if there's any condensation or moisture that builds up can go through there. Mm-hmm. Well, for me, all it took was Andrew, my assistant, sketching some things out and Bill's like, yeah, I'll have two guys over there tomorrow. No problem. Just tell them what you need. Great. I showed in the sketch. We talked about it. They did a detail that I've never done before. They've never done before. And boom, two guys did it in two days. Perfect. Bam. And you knew as soon as you saw it, that it was the right thing. Exactly right. Yeah. And, and, and those guys are hard workers. They're always at it. Uh, and they're always like, what do you need me to do? I can do something different. Or do you want to do that? Like we always do it. Yeah. Okay, great. I got that. No problem. <laughs> Bam. Yeah, so that's the speed of trust. When you trust somebody, things can be lightning fast. Yeah. Just so awesome. Yeah, it's really so trust. Awesome. I have this real unfair advantage in that, in that I have, I have Nate to sort of be a set of eyes about what's truly interesting because I can nerd out on the details of the string and of the hammer weight and of those things, and things that seem to me to be pressing, and then he, he is seeing it with a different set of eyes, equally invested. Mm. But he can think in terms of the story. And that's one of the things that he learned within the first year that we were doing this, that these videos have to tell a story. And it's really neat for me not to have to even think about that because he's continually bringing us back to the thread of the story that is the reason that people came, even if they don't know that's why they came to begin with. It's what keeps them there over time. And I'm I'm thankful for that. So how do you how do you do that? I mean, you you dive the science is mostly your story, right? I mean, the science and the technical details is a story you're telling. Yeah, you know, I end up pretty much doing that myself, Scott. I have a bunch of people help me on the technical side. I never have to think about cameras or editing or any of that kind of stuff. Well, that's not true. I still look at the edits and make notes Mm -hmm. or changes, but I'm still kind of the head storyteller. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm always trying to think, for me, I'm always thinking, well, I've made a lot of mistakes building. What would Matt want to know 10 or 15 years ago? Yeah. So I always think of my audience as the younger Matt. Uh, and, uh, you know, when I started this company, when I was 32, uh, I had this group of builders that were probably your age, Scott, Mm -hmm. 
that I, uh, they were kind enough to uh, take me, allow me to take them to lunch and buy them a Subway sandwich and pick their brain and all kinds of stuff mm -hmm. or call them and say, hey, I got this client who wants a guaranteed maximum price contract. What, what do I say? Have you done mm -hmm. one of those before? What's the pitfalls? What should I do with this? Should I push back on that? Or, uh, you know, my stucco guy is telling me that I should do this. What do you think about that? I, that seems wrong to me. Yeah. So I had about a half dozen builders, which one of them now is my VP of construction. That man, anytime I needed something, I would call those guys. They were super kind. And I also got really actively involved with our Home Builders Association, uh, which had an excellent custom builders group of about 50 or 75 builders that would come on a regular basis and have meetings. And man, that was vital for me. So so my YouTube story is always, hey, what would I have, what would I have wished that I would have known? Or how can this detail also help one of my project managers who maybe doesn't have the same experience level that I do? And that's kind of my angle. That's a great yeah, story. That's great. Um, so about house building, we're we're kind of finishing up a house where we're getting there. Um, this is your, you know, bread and butter is helping people through this process. And one thing that we have not been able to convey because you almost have to experience it is the starting phase where a person, a, a, let's say a, a client of yours would have an idea, but there's like five different things that are all happening at the same time. You know, they're, they're trying to find a lot. They're trying to pick a plan. They can't really pick a plan without an architect. They can't really have an architect without a builder to recommend somebody. There's like, it seems like it's just a choppy, start. And so if there's someone listening who might be kind of experiencing that, how do you help clients, you know, get moving in, in this starting phase of building a house, which um, is maybe more challenging than, than people realize? Yeah, it is challenging. You know, uh, for me, I've always felt like finding a really trusted builder uh, and paying them as a consultant is an excellent way to go. And that's what I do with my clients. They hire me under my company under a pre-construction services agreement. Uh, and more and more these days, they're finding us first, which has been really fun. Over the last 15 years, the majority of our clients have come as a referral, typically from an architect where they've already gone to the architect. They usually have the land already. And then the architect is saying, hey, we need to find you a really good builder. Uh, there's two, there's a lot of good builders in this town and which is fantastic for people building in Austin. Uh, and so I'm going to give you three companies that I really like. There's this company, Reisinger build, and there's these two others that I think would be a good fit for, for you from what I know about you. They're excellent builders. They have great reputations. They're slightly different to work with. You know, the, every company has got a different personality. Um, but any one of them will help you and will help you with pricing and we'll get you, uh, you know, started on this process. That's how I've generally done it. But more and more today, I have people calling my office saying, hey, I'm really interested in you guys building the house because you guys uh, have a great reputation. I've watched a bunch of your videos. Uh, you know, what's the process? And, or I have a piece of land and I really want to talk to you guys. Who do you recommend for doing the architecture? And that's really fun to be on the other side of it now where we can get to know the client mm -hmm. and get to know them and, and then recommend someone to do the architecture. Uh, and we also have really, we have a deep bench of architects in this town. This very good town for design and for building. And there's also a lot going on. This town has just grown a ton yeah. in the 15 years I've been here. 
Yeah, yeah even so like that's, the last year, it seems, or at least that's what the news today was California's moving. Are you seeing that? Big time, big time. I've probably interviewed for more uh, very large projects um, for people that have a ton of money and are moving from California. Uh, you know, unfortunately, the COVID thing is, uh, was it hit businesses really hard. And you guys know, as business owners, I'm thankful I wasn't in travel or tourism or hotels oh, or Amen. airlines. I, I, I did a trip two weeks ago, probably one of the first trips I've been on a plane. And the guy who, uh, uh, who brought me from my car to the airport in the, in the shuttle bus said he'd just been back to work for the first time. Wow. And I thought, oh my goodness. I mean, he was doing side businesses and he was driving Uber and, you know, we forget because we forget. we've been, we've been busy, but we're incredibly blessed to have yeah. money in the bank account and not thinking, how am I going to get groceries tonight? Or how am I going to put gas in my car? Yeah. Um, you know, all of us as builders, uh, if you've been a builder for more than 10 years have experienced good times and bad times. And our friends in, in a bunch of other industries are experiencing bad times. You know, Ronald and Reagan's Ronald Reagan's classic quote, the difference it's when you're when your neighbor's out of work, it's a recession. And when you're out of your work out of work, it's a depression, right? And I am, right. I am just so thankful that that what our the upheaval for so many families has sort of missed us, you know, in, in the context of construction and social media you know, entertainment. Yeah. Did, did you ever think, did I, I know I, it never would have been believable to me that any part of what I was doing would be considered entertainment or education. It's just, it's, it's unbelievable. <laughs> crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's totally unreal. Yeah. It it's is. totally unreal. You, you've been through a recession. You, you obviously had that deal go bad in 08, um, as every other builder and d- investor did, but so you can speak to, um, going through that. So what, what, you probably expect someday things could, you know, hit the building industry again. What do you say to people who maybe are hit or what's been your approach preparing for uh, maybe an eventual downturn, you know, considering you've, you know, seen it before? Yeah, I totally uh, changed my business, Nate, after that last recession. I don't do any speculative builds and I'm really, any builder that comes to me and talks about it, I, I tell them my story and say, man, I'd be really cautious about that because, as great as that is to sell today, all it change all it takes is a, a month or two to change the uh, the whims of America, yep. and all of a sudden that speculative build that you built you can't sell, and you're on the hook for a personal guarantee, pretty much no matter what. No matter what. Yeah. Uh, so it's just a risk that I'm unwilling to take now. The other thing that I did was I got real big on uh, reading and watching Dave Ramsey, huh. uh, and he's big on not having debt, which I had a ton of debt. I had, I had both my credit cards maxed to the point where I remember vividly my wife calling me and saying, Hey, I just want to get money out of the ATM because I got to pay our, uh, our sitter. And it says we have a dollar 37 in the account. So, uh, when you come home from work, you need to magically come up with some money. Wow. And I, you know, I pull out my wallet. I got nothing in my wallet. What am I going to do? Yep. Uh, it's those kinds of situations that, that are still burned in my, <laughs> my memory. Yeah. So, you know, there's not, uh, there's not a better time to plan for, for a recession or for changes in your business than today and being really cautious about buying things on debt or doing jobs that are speculative, that are unsold, I think is, is a, a great way to, to prepare for that next change. And that's really what I've done is, uh, my business doesn't have any debt. I don't have any personal debt. Uh, anytime we've bought a car in the last 10 years, we've always paid cash for it. 
And if we don't like that car, we'll keep it until you have the cash to buy a new one. You know, <laughs> don't I, buy it until you have the cash. I think Dave Ramsey would love to have you on his show, man. You could do the debt-free scream, right? I mean, I'm I'm the poster boy for what not to do <laughs> uh, is uh, is uh, is true both in in finances and in building, Scott. I mean, I've made every mistake and done every screw up you can in the building world. Yeah, that's one that. of the reasons why I'm passionate about YouTube is because I'm hoping that younger builders will listen and watch my videos and not make the same mistakes or not have the same heartbreak that I've gone through when I've made mistakes. That's it's interesting. Great. You you know your your brand and your building process is centered around uh, the science, which which implies long lasting and quality structures. And there's certainly a self interest aspect to that because you're a lot less likely to get sued when your houses aren't leaking and such. And I got to think as a conservative guy who's not buying cars on debt and speculating that that must play some aspect to your overall approach to how you build. Is that close? Yeah, a hundred percent. And you know, I all the time get people that will say, Oh, this is too expensive or this details too much. Well, if it's a water related detail, it needs to be whatever is the right detail for the house and your client needs to pay for it. Mm -hmm. Cause if your client doesn't pay for it or can't afford to do that detail, how are they going to afford to redo it in three years when you're getting sued? Yeah. You're going to pay for it, not your client. That's right. And I learned that lesson the hard way. I came out of Oregon thinking that I was the waterproofing expert, but of course in Oregon, every house had overhang. Mm -hmm. So then I moved to Texas and one of my first paying jobs, paying client jobs is a house with no overhangs. And here I was like, oh, I got this. I'm Mr. I could build in a rainy climate. I had no problem. Well, I built a house with no overhangs. And you know what a scupper is? It's yeah. where you have a, a hole and a parapet wall. Mm -hmm. I built this house that every scupper on the entire house leaked. Oh. And, you know, we got three, four inch rainstorms that not only does it leak, it leaks bad. Yeah. Lots of water. <laughs> Lots of water. So here it is, the reset. And and this is a job that my client said to me, Matt, you got to get three bids on every phase. And I was like, all right. Yeah. I mean, I have to get this work. No problem. I'll do it. So I took the lowest roofing bidder, sure. which the bidder, the, the roofer went out of business about six months after I finished the job. Uh, and I talked to him a couple of times about the leaks and we cocked it or whatever. By the time, by the time I realized, every one of these is leaking. We got to rip the roof off. He was long gone. He had no insurance. He was out of business. It was a hundred percent on me. Mm. I didn't have the money to pay for it either, but I had to do it. It cost me $30,000 to rip off that entire roof and redo it correctly. Now with the next more expensive bidder, which I paid for, not my client. Mm -hmm. And I learned a hard lesson. Yeah. However, uh, that came back around and now I'm doing a multi-million dollar house for that same client. <laughs> See that, 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 <laughs> closes, that closes that loop so beautifully. Now life is not always fair, but it was fair that time, man. That's awesome. It was, it was, it was painful to pay that 30 grand, but you know what? I've made it back probably in the first draw with, with this client <laughs> yeah. 10 years yeah. later on a, on a really expensive project. And they're like, of course we're going to use you. Why wouldn't we use you? Why wouldn't we? Not, not that we didn't have any problems, but when you had a problem, you took care of it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's a huge lesson learned for, for me as a builder. And we need to learn those lessons as builders in general. When you have a problem, don't run away, run to it. Yeah. And even if it's costly or painful, take care of it. Take care of it. That's the best advertising you can buy. 100%. Wow. Yeah. It's like the tortoise and the hare too. Could there be easier money by, you know, 
just slamming it and running and high maybe but there's something to be said for slow and steady and doing it right high ethics um no one likes fast barbecue (laughs) (laughs) same with businesses same with building companies that's so Um, true so here's my last question matt and then we'll let you go but you know we talked about social media a lot and i'm on social media all the time and i love it of course but it is so hard to like see all of these and let's just talk about building and and YouTube and such that, you know, it just is easy to seem like everybody else has all this great stuff going on. And I don't know if it's like this for you, but for me, sometimes it's just, it can put you down a little bit at the same time. So I'm wondering if you see that, you know, with Instagram, for example, even among builders, there are so many beautiful house projects that builders are showcasing and I'm glad they do. Mm That yep. it's it's easy to you know feel like oh man I'm I'm never gonna you know X Y Z whether mm-hmm. to build that or own that or or whatever so am I the only and this is for you too Dad but how how do you guys kind of interact with social media in that way Yeah um, I got I got two things that I think of immediately when I think of that Nate uh, Number one I actually heard a great sermon about this this past weekend at church where the, where uh, the pastor was talking about um, uh, there was a passage in the Bible where Jesus said, basically, who wants to be the greatest? Mm-hmm. And a bunch of the, di- bunch of the disciples were like, Oh, I, w- I want to sit next to you in heaven. Like I want to be the greatest. And the point of the story was basically that, um, their pride made them want to be not the greatest, but just better than everybody else mm-hmm. to, to feel like they're better. And that hits, that hits home for me, right? Like sometimes I'm competitive because I just want to be better than the others, not because I want to be the best. Or, In fact, a big point of the sermon was not, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be great or that wanting to do great things. You know, Jesus was amazing, uh, but he didn't do it because he had pride. He did it because he genuinely cared about people. So for us as builders, as YouTubers, as bloggers, it's totally fine for us to have big aspirations. But we, we shouldn't take pride in that we're better than the next guy or I've got more YouTube subs than you or whatever. Actually, you have more than me. Um, weird. But, That's weird. But what? But why not care about others enough that we are excited to see them put something cool out on Instagram? Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other thing I would tell you, um, which, which is a little bit more uh, down to earth and not as ethereal as that, is Every builder has problems. They just don't put them on YouTube. Yeah, man. And I, I have a competitor um, in my town that is well regarded as the best, most expensive. He's 20 plus years older than me, just incredible company. And you see the photos and images of his houses and you just think, oh my gosh, I mean, they're crushing it. I know he lives in a big house and has a helicopter and all these things. Well, we went out not too long ago, maybe two years ago, uh, on a job where the client was firing that builder and wanted me to take over the job, actually me and one of their builder were interviewing and I'm walking the job. I'm like, really? What, you know, why is this builder getting fired? And I'm thinking, Oh, we're going to see some obvious stuff. No, the ha- the house was like beautiful. Like there wasn't a plumbing pipe that wasn't perfectly, you know, pristinely placed. And there wasn't a wire that wasn't perfectly put in and the waterproofing was perfect and the window details I was thinking, why is he getting fired? I actually don't know the end of that story. But my point is, just because your Instagram feed or whatever is perfect, 
does not mean that they don't have marriage problems. They're not getting a divorce. Mm -hmm. They don't have kids that are, uh, you know, in trouble. We forget that we always put our best foot out there first. And it's really easy to get wrapped up in, oh, they've got better projects than me, or they're doing cooler jobs. When you know what, they have the same problems you do. Uh, just keep your head down, keep doing your absolute best work you can. And if you do that, you'll get that reputation and you'll continue to climb the ladder to do better and cooler and more interesting jobs. And that's totally been my story. So uh, with that being said, Scott, I'd love to hear what you think of when, because uh, you're, I, I think of the same for you. I mean, you're yeah. the pinnacle of the trusted builder. Do you sometimes feel jealous of, of those photos as well? So, so I, I'm just, I just love what you just said. Because the rest of that parable was that he who would be greatest among you should be the servant of all, right? That's right. And yep. then, and so, if we can hang on to that and realize that we are in the service industry, right? Mm -hmm. We just happen to be building beautiful, beautiful things or not so beautiful things that we're building things for people that doggone it they need and hopefully they can afford. Yep. There's real satisfaction in that, right? And 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 the reputation, hundred percent, the reputation that can come from that is the reputation of being a profitable servant, a servant who somebody who came in and exceeded an mm -hmm. expectation and walked away having done something that improved the quality of their life. And then I, I also love C.S. Lewis. And so you were taught what you were just saying. I was thinking, man, preaching out of the same passage because he talks about pride. And, mm -hmm. and as I remember, probably in mere Christianity, I'm not sure, but he talks about, he uses the metaphor of an architect or a builder who can take as much satisfaction in a gorgeous cathedral that's built by another person as if he had mm -hmm. built it himself. And if it was one that he built himself, he takes no that's more right. satisfaction in it than in one that has similar beauty that's built by another guy. And if we can't How find, cool if we can't find that zone, even if it's separate from Christianity, because, because there are people that may be listening to us mm -hmm. for whom this is somewhat foreign and perhaps off-putting at yeah. this point. But if we can't find that zone, where we are not threatened by someone else's success and we're not puffed up because we happen to hit a long ball, then life is going to be a short, miserable, sort of sweaty disappointment when we get to the end of it. And it was none of it was what we had hoped. Mm -hmm. And if we can find that yep. being just competitive enough to always do our, the best darn job we can and not so competitive that we that we trip because somebody else beat us, right? I mean... That, and that's when we find our life. That's when we find life. So thank you. Thank you for those remarks, man. That that resonates with me. And I think there's a ton of truth in it. Well, isn't that craftsmanship ultimately too, Scott? Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, you know, I don't know what I don't know what your faith is, but mine is that uh, there's a creator who yep. was creative and I get to be creative as well and yep. create things from nothing. Yep. I take raw materials that he made, which is wood. And I turn them into something for my clients and be creative. I think that craftsmanship runs through all races, religions, does. Uh, sexes, whatever. Yep. Uh, craftsmanship, there's something about it. That creative, I'm doing something, I'm doing it to the best of my abilities. I'm out here giving it my best every day. Yep. That I don't care what religion, what country yep. you're from. Yep. People respect that. Yep. And that's I think I, I love that you've got it in your in your title. That that what is that essential element of craftsmanship? It's the thing that binds us. It is. And everyone can tell craftsmanship, whether it's a hundred thousand dollar house or a hundred million dollar house. That's right. And you can but the other thing is you can also see when it's not there. You can see right? the lack. how many times yep. 
How many times have you walked a multi-million dollar house? You're like, ooh, yeah. the craftsmanship's not there. Yeah, the craftsmanship is a sixteenth of an inch deep on that wall. And behind yeah. that, you don't want to see it, man. Nobody <laughs> wants to see it. Yeah. I, I, I believe we are created with the germ of making. That, that, that part, of, part of being created in God's image is to love to make. And, and that there's a satisfaction mm-hmm. in that that doesn't come in any other way that I've found. Hundred percent. That's why we're like him. Yeah. Well, can't thank you enough, Matt. We're gonna put links to in case there is any, anyone who isn't familiar with your YouTube channel. We'll of course link to that. Do you want to let us know about the Build uh, channel, uh, the network, and kind of talk about that for a minute? And we'll yeah we'll end on that. That sounds great, Nate. So um, uh, I started BuildShowNetwork.com. All all one uh, one word buildshownetwork.com about uh, we've been up for a year and maybe three months now and I've got four other builders and one of their architects shooting videos we actually have six new videos a week wow over on buildshownetwork.com and it's been really fun for me because it's kind of my version of uh, Netflix or YouTube we actually go out to advertisers and we sell 15 second ads uh, in front of all the videos, whether they're mine or one of those creators. And then I share with them some of the ad share, just like YouTube does with me. Um, but it's fun because I've, I've got like-minded builders and craftsmen on there uh, from different parts of the country, different styles, that sort of thing. My hope is that we'll grow that to 20 or 30 uh, different folks in the future. And we'll have this little platform that maybe we'll end up in other places as well. And I do want to mention, I don't know when this podcast is coming out, but uh, uh, April 1 is the Build Show podcast release date uh, on iTunes. We've we've got a couple episodes under our uh, belt already. So uh, we're, we're following your footsteps in the podcast world. I'm a little behind the game there. So I'm going to try and catch up. <laughs> well, we, we feel the same way, but you're, you're the type of guy to dig in and not let that hold you back. That's really exciting news. I can't wait to can't wait to hear that. April 1st, we'll definitely have this up by then. So uh, listeners, um, check that out. We'll link to that. And uh, Matt, thank you so much. This was a pleasure uh, for the listeners. This is our first time getting to know Matt, chatting with him. Yeah. We have an in, an enormous amount of overlap. And yeah, we do. We're talk we got to we got to do a collab one of these days. Let's Nate do. Scott. That'd be really fun. That'd be awesome. Yeah. yeah um, in fact, I've got a few ideas rattling around in my old noodle, and and hopefully we can uh, make one of them happen. Um, <laughs> Wonderful. Well, have a great night, Matt. Thanks for your time. And um, keep that will, tab uh, open. Keep that soon. tab open until the, this program uploads what you did. 10-4. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it.